It's March 18th, 2016, and this is episode 3. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. While Bitcoin is wicked fucking cool, we are not experts. We're only companions gaily frolicking towards a more Bitcoin weird future. On with the show. Pat Green and Julian, welcome to Database. Hello, Jane. Hello, Jane. Now, Julian, I see you have your computer linked to the telephone line. Can you tell us how you did that? Yes, well, it's very simple, really. Um, the telephone is connected to the telephone network with a British Telecom plug, and I simply remove the telephone jack from the telecom socket and plug it into this box here, the modem. I then take another wire from the modem and plug it in where the telephone was. I can then switch on the modem and we're ready to go. Um, the computer is asking me if I want to log on and it's now telling me to phone up the main Prestel computer, which I will now do. Um, this is a very simple connection to make. Extremely simple. Um, and I can actually leave the modem pl plugged in once it's done that without affecting the telephone. I'm now waiting for the computer to answer me. It asks with a tone, and then I just flick a switch on the modem and replace the receiver. All right, welcome to the third episode of Unconfirmed Transactions. I'm Dan Anderson, here with Tone Vase to talk about Ethereum. Oh, thanks for having me on. We, uh, we met recently at an Ethereum meetup, uh, one of the first for Bitcoin New York City's. So Bitcoin New York City had an Ethereum meetup which in itself was strange. And we went out to see, you know, what was up? Yeah, no, I think it was more, it's uh, Bitcoin devs, I think. It's a, it's a New York City Bitcoin meetup that I haven't really been going to. And uh, this time the topic for the day for the event was Ethereum. It was called Ethereum for Dummies. Um, so it was really interesting. And uh, we had one of our friends from Florida was in town. And we decided to just um, go to this meetup. And that's where I got to meet Dan for the first time. I already heard the first two episodes of his podcast on confirmed transactions, uh, and it was uh, it was pretty good. And I'm happy to join him in Brooklyn uh, at his pad for hosting us. And um, here we go. We're gonna do episode three about Ethereum, and then I don't know. Should we save the hearings for episode four, or we're gonna try and do it all here today? We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Tony, you're such a professional. Uh, no, no, no. It's just uh, I've been meaning to get my own podcast, so I'm just happy to be a guest on other people's. Okay, so you know, let's. Just, so we got there and we checked it out. Met you there, and people are filing in, and it was packed. I mean, there was there was they ran out of seats. Oh yeah, it got packed. Uh, I'm pretty sure that normally their meetups are not this big. But when you put the word Ethereum on top of it, oh, the newbies showed up. There were people there that did not even have a Satoshi in a wallet. They didn't even have wallets, uh, but they were there to learn about Ethereum. And that's taking things to another level. Yeah, they're trying to learn the blockchain through Ethereum. And there were so many times where I was asked questions about Ethereum and I was like, I don't know, but let me tell you about Bitcoin. Or when there was an Ethereum user or expert there, almost always when they started to explain Ethereum, it would inevitably revert to talking about Bitcoin. And someone at one point even said, like, don't tell me about Bitcoin. Tell me specifically about Ethereum. I'm here for the, the Dummies 101 Ethereum. Yeah, that was great. I, I think you also said that <laughs> at one point, j j just to kind of, uh, because you were there to learn about Ethereum. Look, I don't know much about Ethereum either. Um, I'm a critic of Ethereum. You're a critic of Ethereum. We don't know that much about Ethereum, and honestly, nobody does. I've I've talked to Ethereum devs, and they don't. I don't think they know about Ethereum. They just keep telling me how great it is. I still haven't gotten any significant answer as to what it's good for. Well, one of the examples that there, because there was a dev there and he was with a thing called Etheria, which I believe is like a Minecraft like game in Ethereum. And his example, he was like, here's a great example is you could use it no problem for a domain name system. And I went over this on my last episode, but I just don't think 
we need a new domain name system. But that's aside the point. Um, there was a reporter next to me. I saw a guy with a little notepad. Oh yeah, no, I was talking to him for a little while. Uh, that that was interesting. I you, you sat you sit there and you try to explain to these people what a blockchain is. Uh, it's uh, it was really interesting. They came up with these cases like, oh, we're gonna put you know titles. Uh, we're gonna decentralize the titling system of land, and they're just coming up with these things like, guys, it's. I keep telling them, Bitcoin did one thing really well. It decentralized value transfer. For the first time, we were able to decentralize something. It's it's not perfect 100% decentralization, but it's as close as we've ever had anything. And now everyone wants to decentralize everything. It, it's really, really something. But uh, yeah, so we're going to go through some of the other... Uh, things that we picked up from be going to this um, Ethereum meetup. I think what we kept drilling into too was like, why do what I need Ethereum? You know, and they're just like, it's decentralized. And but like, it's okay. Okay, why would I want that? And you know, that there's I see this all the time. They're like, decentralization is like just automatically good. Like almost like there, you you should know why we need decentralization. You should just know. But it's not clear like that either. So, but one of the things the reporter when I brought him up. He was like, he's like, I've been to this, some of the meetings, like three or four meetings recently, and I'm looking for the story, and it seems like the story is this thing is worth a billion dollars. That's what he thought the story was <laughs> after going to several meetings trying to learn about it. Yeah, like I, I really want to, I, I want to stay open-minded and learn about Ethereum, but, but it's hard. It, it's, it's really, really difficult because they don't give me like a foundation. I, I know they all make fun of the fact, well, what is Bitcoin good for? It's only good for the black market. You, you can buy drugs. You can buy whatever. Um, it has this bad stigma. But they keep talking about the bad things. I'm like, yeah, but I understand that. I understand it. I don't understand why we need to decentralize titles. I've never met anyone that had a problem getting a title from a title company. You actually brought that up and... Two people raised their hands, and one guy said, "Oh, the problem with titles is that it costs me like six thousand dollars." He said, which probably meant he was buying, I don't know, a warehouse or something difficult. Because I've I've never paid I've a fee bought, like that. <laughs> I bought several properties, and yeah, it costs over a thousand dollars, but it it's the way it is. And you're not going to change the system from the outside in. These systems have to change from the inside. This is, I have the same criticism for Patrick Byrne. I've had it from the beginning where you're not going to, you're one guy. You're not going to change Wall Street from the outside. Wall Street has to change itself. And if 99.9% .9 of Wall Street do not have a problem with three-day settlement times or shorting stocks, it's not going to change. So that's what we kept bringing up was like, it seems like there's Ethereum it has, there's got to be a specific use case. Like where, what's its wheelhouse? What is it good at? Or as Chris Rose might say, like, what's the efficiency, right? Um, and we kept bringing that up, bringing that up. And the, the meetup, uh, the guy that was running the meetup was like, well, basically Ethereum is a solution looking for a problem. You know, he was like, it's, a, it's, and it's hyped okay, up. I will, he was very honest. You know? I, I will defend the organizer, uh, Jonathan Mohan, who's, uh, who did a pretty good job. Um, so uh, he's a Bitcoin guy and he was running the Ethereum meetup. He's not an Ethereum pumper. So when we kept putting him on the spot of, well, what is Ethereum good for? Uh, his answer eventually was, well, Ethereum is a solution still looking for a problem. And I respect that. You know, that was an uh, honest answer. That but, was an honest answer. But at the same time, this was an Ethereum for Dummies 101 level meetup. And he went straight away into like, there was one point where he said, um, does, there, does anyone here know what the, the Turing test is? And then he got into how we're going to have an AI on top of Ethereum that's going to hire sentient beings and have like a human army run by an AI and like really. So I think a lot of times when I talk to Ethereum supporters, it's like they want some sort of futurism to be delivered by Ethereum. Like they're going to do a great leap forward somewhere. And uh, I don't think they know where. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
the the other thing that it was, you know what? I think it was also a bit of, um, I guess, mislabeling. When he named it Ethereum for Dummies, you kind of assume you're going to show up there and you'll get like a 30-minute presentation on the basics of Ethereum. But that's not what it was. It was just a discussion about Ethereum and blockchains and some of us, like me included and yourself, moved the discussion into Bitcoin because Bitcoin kept being mentioned. Like you said, it was a lot of, well, it's like Bitcoin. It does so-and-so like Bitcoin, but it'll do it better than Bitcoin. Uh, and then towards the end, because uh, I don't know, I felt like we were not going to get to this. I had him, hey, so can we talk about the Ethereum price? Because I bet you there, there was a good, what, 50 people there? 50 at least? More. I would say more than more, 50? 60, 70. Like 60, 70. And I would say a good 20, 25% of them were there just to speculate on the value of Ethereum. And I'm like, hey, so can we talk about the token? Because I am so critical of Ethereum and all my criticism start with the token. The token. I, I the, Somebody building technology doesn't bother me. Like same thing with MadeSafe, uh, which lets you will let you store um, somebody else's data, pieces of their data on your hard drive. I'm not sure why you would let somebody else do that. But that's again, that's a discussion for another day. But I have no problem with that project until they decided to, you know, kind of crowdfund and sell their token, which wasn't as bad. Um, I've spoken to the to that team directly. But my problem is with this Ethereum token. And I really need to do a little more research. But from what I already know, it, it just feels scammy to me. I don't know what your opinion on that is. I think it's I think it's also very complicated because so, if you try to look into it, they'll say um, I see people saying, "Oh, it's not a token. It's not a coin. We're not trying to make money here. This is it's more like oil. Uh, you have to burn it to use the thing, and then there's a gas element because um, to limit processing in some way. So the Ethereum pays for the gas, which pays for the processing power. It's just it's very complex, and it's needlessly the whole thing is needlessly complex. But who's actually using it that way? So I've looked at, uh, there's actually, a, maybe in the show notes, I'll put up a dApps list. And some of the uses that are actually being used for right now are verifiable Ponzi schemes. So the developer of the Ponzi scheme is at the top of the pyramid. And then if you pay into the smart contract, you become the, the next level of the pyramid. And if the pyramid level below you gets filled up, the people above them get paid out. And it's like a smart contract, but it's, uh, for Ponzi schemes. Right. <laughs> like, wow, that's interesting. Like okay, so what do you what do you think a smart contract is? What do I th I think a yeah. smart contract? I I don't like when smart gets thrown in front of anything. It's like an opportunity to stop thinking. But I think smart contracts are largely just code. Um, you know, it's just code. You put uh, oh yeah, can we get more specific than that? Like uh -huh. like because I'll give you my op opinion, right? Because people say smart contracts, and I always ask them, well explain to you what a smart contract is and usually conversation kind of dies there mm -hmm. because people like to throw out these terms and they can't explain them um so just because your contract is not written on paper but it's written in computer code I, does that make it a smart contract i don't think it does but i don't know yeah maybe i think that makes sense how it's using how it's used matters like they're just because they were that was even a discussion at the meetup though it was that maybe all these terms are bad um but i i'm my understanding of a smart contract is you you write this uh in serpent language you write this code you put it into the blockchain and now i can review your code and i know that when i send value to that code it will i know what the output will be and the output might be many different things but right but does that need to be decentralized no, that's I. So there was a guy there from Russia who was like, "I'm trying to fi find out like how we can use these smart contract things," and I don't get it. And you know, in his point, and I agreed with him, was like, "Why don't we just do this with our own server?" Like, you know, if you trust the parties involved, why can't you just execute this code on your server? You know. Well, again, right? What if you even if you don't? Uh, yeah, you can trust the parties involved, but one party may not trust the other person's server. So my answer to a lot of these people, okay, fine. Why can't you find a third party and encrypt all of your information of your contract and then send it to this trusted third party that cannot read what is inside your contract? And this third party is only responsible for one thing, 
execution of the contract. And I brought up this this public nature of the code during the meeting, and the guy the guy next to me was like, "Well, open source software exists, and it's like not a problem. It's not a problem. It, you know, it, public code like it's it's there's so many things you can use with public code, but you know, if I'm gonna write a contract, I want that to be private. You know, right. I don't want people to see my contracts inner workings. I don't want that. Of course not. So it seems like there's a very specific niche that or it just like it seems like this has a very limited use case and no one at the meeting can articulate to you what that use case is and all the use cases they should they suggest are things we already have right but but again same thing with titles i mean you don't need to decentralize it you just need to if you want it to be private encrypted and send it to a third-party company that is just responsible for holding that data they don't know what that data is they're just competent at holding it and um that see again like i still don't understand i still don't know what the definition of a smart contract is does it have to be decentralized does it have to be just written in a computer code that can execute and if the computer code executes a smart contract something has to be exchanged right at the end of any contract i mean unless you're just talking to each other right there has to be something of value being transferred at the end of this contract. Maybe one, right? of the, one, one of the biggest problems you're pointing out is they were saying, well, contracts at their heart are very simple. But contracts aren't that simple, you know? It's no. Like, it's like, here's what we intend to do, but here's all, like, if it goes wrong, we'll do this. Or here's re there's recourse. I think most of these smart contracts have almost no recourse, you know? Well, well right. It's, it's like another thing. They're talking about these smart contracts, but it's like they lose all notion that at the end, when this con when it's time to tran when this contract executes, something of value has to go from one one entity to another, whether it's two computers, two people, a person and a computer. Something of value has to be transferred, right? At the end of any contract, otherwise, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And what value are you talking about? What are we transferring here? Titles, money, mm -hmm. um, stock, securities, information. Even if it's information. That information has to be moved from one entity to another. So the information will move. Um, is the contract itself going to move it? And what are they actually moving? Here's an example of one. We're looking at etherboard.io. I just pulled it up on screen. And so this is a smart contract that I used. I tried out. And basically, I uploaded an image and I paid Ether. And apparently this went into the ether thing and then the value I got is that it showed up here and I put the counterparty logo. But this is an example of a smart contract. I and don't get it. Yeah, no, it's stupid. It's <laughs> that's because it's stupid. Like you could do this with a server. I'm, look, I'm looking you at this thing for the first ether. time. I, I don't I don't get it. I'm sorry. You don't need Ethereum or you don't need decentralization for this. This is something a server can handle. So so here's an example. Here here's what I again, I don't know if this is a smart contract or not. But I see this as a good use case. And this was brought up to me at a, in San Diego. I was talking to some guy from a car company that is interested in, um, I think they were going into um, risky loans for um, people with bad credit so they can get money to buy a car. I like that. So they are going to give them money, uh, real money. And um, he had bit in the title of his company. And after he was explaining it to me, I'm like, so what does this have to do with Bitcoin in any way? He's like, no, not really. It's about with the Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, no, not even. I'm like, does this have to do anything with Bitcoin? And he said, no. He's like, but we're looking into this blockchain thing. So what we want to do is after we give a loan, we want to, you know, use the notary service of the blockchain and uh, put the registration of the car and the loan, like the information of the loan. Uh, put it into the blockchain. Put it into the Telios of Christ, as our friends like to call it. Do you want to get into notarization tone? No, no, I don't. I don't know. So that's what I told him also. <laughs> and I'm like, so you guys are a big car company that are going to get into loaning, uh, but you don't apparently trust your own database? That, that's what I asked him. Uh, and, and he agreed with me. So I said, okay, so just forget about that idea. It's unnecessary. Um, so... Um, so here's what happens when you loan money to high-risk people. Um, he's like, well, if we're going to do this and we're loaning money to buy a car, probably they're doing it to sell their cars because they were a car company. And uh, so we're going to have this 
really serious GPS like built into the car, right? Because they're giving a car to a high-risk individual. So they now have this embedded GPS that tells them where the car is. And they're like, they're all just really pretty much two possibilities here, right? The guy doesn't make a payment and they have to go and get the car back. Or two, the car has been stolen and they want to get their car back or reported stolen, right? We all know how these things go. Um, I'm like, okay, that sounds great. So that's why you have that GPS. But I'm a big privacy advocate. So now I go into, well, people are starting to get on this thing. It's like, they don't like, people don't like to be tracked. They're finally starting to realize it. Took them a while, but people are starting. I, I think the corner is turning, mm-hmm. that people are getting tired of being tracked. Um, so how are you going to get around this issue? And he didn't have an answer to that. So I t- so here's my example of a smart contract. So you lend a person a car or you sell them the car, you lend them the money, mm-hmm. give them the car, you put this serious tracker in the car. Because again, I don't care if the car company knows where I am. The car company can't come after me. You're worried about the government with, about the, with the, the arms. I'm worried about the government subpoenaing the company to know where I am. And I'm sure so do a lot of people that may need this car. Right. So, and I asked them, I'm like, so how are you protecting your client base from a government subpoena to your company for your GPS data? Because they know your cars have this advanced GPS in the motor mm-hmm. that cannot be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did, again, he didn't have an answer. So I said, so here's a smart contract. When they exist, because they don't, you encrypt this data and the smart contract executes and allows you to view the GPS location of the car upon the following two conditions. The car is reported stolen and there is a police report or there is an automatic or there is a mispayment. Mm-hmm. Upon one of those two conditions, the smart contract executes. It gives you the power to look at the GPS and go find the car. Mm-hmm. That's it. If the government comes to you with a subpoena and says, we want to know where this guy is, the answer is, well, I'm sorry, FBI agent. We don't have access to this data. You can go find him, make him miss a payment, and then we'll tell you where the car is. That's true. Yeah, the, con- the conditions aren't met. So as long as the contract's getting paid or you can feed the contract a number that points to the police record, for example, that gets into oracles and stuff. They were, they were tra- starting to bring that up. Ethereum needs to have something outside to get the data input it needs. Yeah, and somebody mentioned somebody mentioned Augur at that meeting, and I just like I just. Well, what do you? So one of the things I was thinking about today, what I brought up at the meeting was like, it seems to me if everything's public, rather than look at like you know, I would look at Ethereum, the network itself, as the oracle, and I would see what people are doing, and I would say, okay, there's all this activity here that's very public to me. How can I now extract value? from that those people's now public activity i would look at like what people were trading or like you know one of the things i would think is they were talking about DAOs, which is a a DAO is i don't know but uh you could i think you could create DAOs to attack DAOs. like you know i feel like you could create contracts that attack contracts and exploit contracts yeah no they, they were throwing out acronyms left and right over there the other thing uh what that i forgot oh with auger Here's, some, here's an idea. What if all these altcoins, what if those are, in fact, the prediction market already? Like, is a when you put money into an altcoin, are you making a bet that Bitcoin won't work? Like, we have gambling, and it's no, called altcoins. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think you're making a bet. I mean, if you're putting your money into an altcoin, it, it, like, you've got fed up with Bitcoin, and you picked one or multiple altcoins, and that's your long-term then you are making a bet that Bitcoin won't work. Mm-hmm. But if you're just a speculative trader, uh, it's okay. yeah, it's not the same thing. You're saying there's multiple. Yeah, there's, there's multiple okay. levels of altcoiners. Well, maybe we should look at one right now. <laughs> you want to pull up the, the um, we, or is that too soon? I, I think it's too soon. We'll get to that in a second. Um, no, what I was going to mention on Augur. Okay, so, so here's what I tried to explain at that meetup uh, to people. Uh, so Bitcoin took off because of properties that governments don't like. Uh, actually, oh, you're not in one of these group chats. I, I listed my seven levels of uh, Bitcoin usefulness. Okay. And I started with the first one that I remember to my knowledge, and it was donating to 
uh, parties that the government doesn't like. And to me, that was WikiLeaks. Yeah, economic, was, they did an economic blockade. Right. So my, the next use case for Bitcoin was buying things that the government doesn't like, which was the Silk Road situation. Mm -hmm. um, my number three use case for Bitcoin was um, using it for gambling. Uh, that actually, that, that was one of the pushes that got me into uh, buying some Bitcoin. And, uh, but I did hear about it in the WikiLeaks days. Um, I'm trying to remember them in order, though I can pull off my phone, but I don't want to do that. Uh, my fourth case was, um, oh, paying for services the government doesn't like, which we now we have, you know, webcams and uh, porn sites and um, escorts are using it on, uh, no, I don't like to call them escorts. Here. I have an article saying, well, escorts take it to the next level. I don't like that term. I prefer independent contractors. There you go. Um, and uh, it's, a le it's a legitimate business. It's just not. It depends who's who's looking at it. It depends <laughs> on what jurisdiction, and honestly, it depends uh, how it's being enforced. Uh, because when people tell me, it, it, it's so funny. Like people are like, "Well, isn't that illegal?" And my my common answer to that is, "Yes." So is prostitution in Thailand, right? It's like what is being enforced. It, it's what's being enforced. Uh, is the question. So th those are my like, and then after that, now I'm getting into really heavy stuff. Now I'm like, well, it might be, and I probably shouldn't say this because some will get upset. Um, it's really a good way to, you know, protect some of your assets before you get married in case you get divorced. I can see that, yeah. Um, so that's another... Or before going to jail. Right, or before going to jail. Uh, and it's a great way to protect your assets. And all now we're then the next level up is you know protecting some of your assets from government confiscation. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get into the details of what that might entail. Uh, but all of those, to me, don't even compare to the ultimate use case of Bitcoin, which is moving value cross borders. Large amounts of value. Now, and that is my list for functionality of Bitcoin that makes sense. Now, notice what I did not say on this list is buying Starbucks coffee and, you know, buying things from Amazon because that, sorry guys, that's not important. For everything that's legal, there's MasterCard. For everything else, <laughs> there's, there's Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Right? Right. <laughs> and uh, that, and that, that message did not land resonate. on, it didn't, right. it didn't resonate with the people at that meeting. So, so the reason why I've just brought this up is because here's what I also brought up at that Ethereum meetup. You are trying to decentralize contracts. Obviously, we have the technology to create digital computer contracts. We had this technology before Bitcoin. Uh, your computer can execute a contract. What Ethereum is doing is it's going to decentralize it. So what are they... What, the question is why. So what I try to explain to them, the only reason to decentralize a contract is if there is something in that contract that the jurisdiction of where the contract is being executed does not like what you're doing. Well, when you were talking about Augur, you, um, they, they think the issue with Augur is like, well, we have to find an oracle to tell us the truth. But, but you brought up, it's like, I can check out the sports scores on ESPN. I can find places to make bets. The problem that the betting industry has is payments. It's, you know, making the payments to each other. That's the problem they have. It's not like, who do we turn to to find out the truth about this, the outcome of the game? They don't have problems with that. You have problems with payments. And Augur is setting up to have this reputation system where – you can you can you can like report what actually happened and then you get a reward for it and that's like how they feel like their system will actually work but we don't have issues with finding out who won the sports game well we don't <laughs> we don't which is why sports betting is useless for auger right so so again so what what i just said for ethereum is going to apply to auger so the only reason to decentralize a contract is if it's a contract that the the law in your jurisdiction will not let you make in a non-decentralized way. And uh, and the auger is going to have the same problem. The only reason to use auger is if you are betting on something that the current betting institutions will not let you bet on. Mm -hmm. And then you need some kind of an oracle with reputation to tell you if it happened. Because there is no... Um, centralized entity that is trusted enough to tell you the answer. Mm -hmm. um, or 
there is a trusted entity that will tell you the answer, but the question is not legal. So we can we can speculate on what an illegal question is. You want to take a guess? I have one in my head. An illegal question? Uh, when someone will die. Correct. <laughs> assassination markets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're in front of a computer right now, Google assassination um, markets or politics. I would not Google that. I would, <laughs> I would uh, first open uh, another browser that Duck, cannot Duck. be tracked. Well, I was gonna go. Uh, sorry, not browser. I would first open another um, uh, Tor. Yeah. Uh, wait, that is a browser. Tor is a browser. Yeah. Search engine. We said DuckDuckGo is a search engine. It's not a browser. So I would first open another browser like a Tor, and then I would open a search engine in that browser that is like a DuckDuckGo, um, and then I would um, make a search for an assassination market. But um, so that's what's going to happen. And again, you may need a decentralized Ethereum-style contract in order for you to get your value um, from a contract. Like, like the question I had was, will Donald Trump uh, be assassinated before the general election? Which is probably, uh, the odds are going to be pretty interesting on that. Uh, I would love to see those odds. Uh, but that is the kind of question you cannot bet on on a centralized gambling website. Yeah, naturally. So you will need something like Augur to put that question up so that you can place your bets on it. You may need a decentralized contract like whatever Ether is trying to do mm -hmm. in order to get your payment. Mm -hmm. And guess what currency that payment's going to be in? Is it Bitcoin? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ding, 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 ding. So, so, here, so, so here's another question, right? So why do you need Augur's reputation points or, a the or Ethers if Bitcoin is the value, is the decentralized value? Why can't you achieve both of those by using your Bitcoin as your reputation? I don't know, Tom. I don't. <laughs> or using your Bitcoins to execute an Ethereum contract. I, so I, I, I bum around in the Augur Reddit, so I look at what they're saying. They're expecting on the order of a billion dollars in volume per month so if we're talking about only very small number of bets that are like specifically not possible elsewhere i just don't see it adding up to that level they're, they think they're going to eat into this existing system and i don't think they are like all these things are good for these dark corners which we don't have access to now and when we were talking about at the meeting about the decentralization of contacts contracts it seems to me that's what's really crucial in that which never came up but we were just talking about is privacy if you can find me and you know that i put that contract up there the fact that my, my contract is decentralized doesn't protect me so but so how do i use ethereum privately how do i stay anonymous and w concepts of fungibility and privacy are just not in the discussion for ethereum but they're central I know. To that happening. I know. No, I find that really, I, I find that bizarre. It's like the Ethereum crowd is trying to play the, well, we don't have the reputation of Bitcoin card. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not in the dark markets. We're, uh, we're legit. But they don't realize the only usefulness their contracts will have for to make, decentralization is incredibly inefficient. So the only reason to make something decentralized is if it's something that the government doesn't like. They don't realize that is their first use case, which hasn't even been achieved yet, which is why until I see... Okay, I'll, this is when I'll change my mind on Ether. When I see Ethereum contracts being used for markets government jurisdictions consider illegal, I will then perhaps uh, say, you know what? There is a use case for Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Maybe one way to put it is that inefficient is better than not possible. Correct. And the thing that I always see people saying, they're like, decentralization is efficient. That's always the... the I see that a lot, though. Decentralization is efficient. It's is ridiculous, all, is, is, though. It keeps getting repeated. Keep getting repeated. And it's like, whoa, hold on, buddy. Hold on. <laughs> like, there, that is not an efficiency. You know, it's just not. No. So that, uh, that, that was pretty much my view on... And these markets, and uh, again, I'll let, let, let's see where well, let's see where Ether goes. But um, 
let's let's talk about briefly the price of ether because this is the we're gonna play a little clip of a video but let's um, let's set it up so let's the price of ether right now it seems like the price action is largely related to the fact that the bitcoin system is having an issue of scaling maybe there's a lot of um talk right now about scalability and that's leading people to, to run into Ethereum because Ethereum will scale. But will Ethereum scale? Because if it's used at, a, at any level, I feel like instantly that gets centralized. And all, you have Microsoft and Amazon hosting all the servers. And, you know, there's just no... I don't know how you can keep a system like that centralized where there's no limit on the data. I mean, there's very small limits on the data. And I also think if, if the price goes high enough, it's going to limit a bunch of use cases in a you know they're already having problems these developers thought ethereum would be good because it'd be cheaper but if the price runs up all of a sudden it caught your processing power goes up so you have a you have a basically what i imagine it being is a lot like cloud computing but more expensive uh, i i'm not exactly sure about that i'm just speculating yeah yeah no uh because i don't think they know what's gonna happen nobody does right so with the ethereum price being so high it creates these weird incentives now so you don't know what's going to happen. I don't really know their mining structure. I know a couple of miners that didn't throw away all their, I guess, GPU mine. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not a mining guy. Right um, now, they're proof of work, but they're planning to go well, to proof, proof of stake. Right, but they're proof of work, but is it um, graphics cards? Is it um, like, like, because I know mining operations that had all their useless mining gear just laying around, and now it's useful for Ethereum. So yeah, I think it's GPUs right it's now, GPUs but, right but, now. Pr- okay. but pretty pretty advanced graphic cards still. But they're gonna get rid of that because they they want to save the environment, so they're gonna go to proof of stake. Right. Well, I'm and, not I'm not even going that far. I think they have. I, that's what I they're mean, saying. I mean, once they, no, you're not going that far. I, I don't, they're not going to proof of stake because the moment they go to proof of stake, it's game over. They're done. So I don't think they're ever gonna make it there. I think it'll. The latest blog post talks about how they're gonna do it. They're not gonna do it. The it's it's either a gonna collapse before that, or b they're gonna realize that it will collapse the moment they go to it. Uh, they're not gonna do it. But um, before we get there, oh, you know what? Let me. Let's just get to the. Want to watch the video? Then we'll. Then we'll, re- oh, one second. Then we'll reflect. I, I, I will play devil's advocate against myself for one second. Mm-hmm. There are issues with current gambling sites because we're talking about gambling sites. And the issue with current gambling sites is you have to make an account and you have to put all your money there, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's fiat, doesn't matter. And, it, and it, every day you wake up, you hope that your money is there because guess what? The owners of that site wake up every day and they have to make a decision. Do we pay people back or do we run away with millions of dollars? Exit scams. So once your gambling site gets too big, I would worry. And if it's too small, I would worry. Uh, but in between that, you're okay. So the, the perfect gambling site would be one, and I, and I used one actually in the Bitcoin space, but you couldn't keep it going. The perfect gambling site is you want to make a bet you have a QR code. You put the QR code, and the QR code serves as a smart contract. If your game wins, you get paid out within 24 hours back to yourself uh, within 24 hours, within a reasonable time span. You get your winnings. If the bet lost, you get nothing. But this way, you never let your Bitcoins sit at the gambling site. You just get them back. Huh. Yeah, I'm not so sure, but... The, but, but uh... We got Jop here in the chat. He he brought up that it is CPU and GPU mining right now. Okay. And there is actually one mining pool that controls 51% of all the mining. I, I, I'm I pretty sure I know which one that is because I was just talking to the guy and he said we are doing ins- – he, he, he thinks he's more than 50%. <laughs> okay. Let, let me just put it that way. I spoke to him the other day. I'm not going to say who it is uh, because I honestly don't care. And uh, yeah. like he told me this, I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I'll just keep this knowledge to myself. And uh, I, 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 so I, I have an idea of who that is. Um, but now we're getting to the price of Ethereum. So we're going to play something. So this right here, uh, we'll put the video in the show notes. Uh, I was at this event in 2014. You have to watch this clip in full. I had no idea this video existed. I tweeted it out the other day. It went from 500 views to 1,000 views. It's been on YouTube for, oh my God, two years. March 31st, 2014. It's been two years. It just doubled in views in the last three days. Uh, this was the Doge party. This is when everyone thought that Doge is the new Bitcoin uh, because its price was going up. Uh, so we're going to play you like a short clip, but it's a 10-minute video 
It's priceless. It's a real jam. Okay, here it comes. So, you got to learn how to make a pool of balls here, right? What we're going to do is take the mother of all group pictures. We're going to replace the bull's head with the JoJo's head. Groucho Fractal, who is this sort of crazy artist from Philly, had had this idea to put a paper mache doge head on the bull's on the Wall Street Bull. And so just over the course of two days, they just made it. And it was awesome. Are you guys ready? Does everybody know where the after party is? The after party at the moon. To the moon! 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 Go to the fucking ball and stuff! All right, either way. Technologies built on the blockchain are like definitely the future. I think they're going to revolutionize everything. And that's one of the reasons that I'm so interested in Dogecoin is that I think it's kind of inevitable that we're going in that direction. And I would much rather live in a world that's built on the principles of Dogecoin than one where, the, you know, built on the principles of some of these other Bitcoin derivatives that were made purely out of greed. Uh, we can cut it there. So if you heard that last part, it was like a person said, I would much rather live in a world um, where uh, it's built on something like Doge and not something like big, uh, derivatives of Bitcoin, which is greed. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, one of the, they were, so they were euphoric about the price. And right now, Ethereum is a euphoric about the price. But you, you have a history as a trader. Have you seen stocks where the price, you know, everyone's confident in the price and then it just goes straight down? You know, like that happens, right? It, it does happen. And, and like, look, people make good money. Price on... is not always an indication of future performance. Like it might be good right now, but like, will it go? You know, uh, all, how do you think about that? The, the price on any stock is always a speculation. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, like earnings ratios. It's the price of anything is speculation. It took Amazon like 10 years to be profitable. And it was it, it kept going up. Um, it's always on the expectation of the future. It's what you think about the future of it. And these things do get irrational. Now, I actually just found out that the original Ethereum crowd sale was 2,000 Ethers for one Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin was at, that, at that point was in the 800 range, though. I think, yeah, I think it was like in the 800 range. Uh, now, I really, I, I need to sit down and do this math. Because I know they pre-mined 60 million ethers, was it? Oh, is that how they did the pre-sale? They pre-mined? The right. And, and the reason, oh, of course, how else would they do it? <laughs> I mean, <it's> a, <laughs> I, I don't know how else you do a, a pre-sale. Uh, I mean, they had it. Because, and the reason I know it's 60 million is because when I looked at um, the market caps of all these coins, I, this is before Ethereum went to live trading and mining. It said exactly 60 million, and I find, you know, round numbers. I'm like, oh, okay. So 60 million was what they pre-created, and they did their crowd sale. So I think it was, if you did it on the first day, it was like 2,000 ethers per Bitcoin. If you did it on a second day or on a second week, I don't remember. I wasn't paying attention. Um, it was less. So the earlier you got in with your one Bitcoin, the more ethers you got. So the math that I want to do is we know how much Bitcoin they received. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe people listening think, can do I, the math. I think I've read it was around 18 million at, in at dollars, that time. Right. Yes. But again, but, but the prices always fluctuate, right? right? And I don't know how many of those people got it on what day. So I don't know how many ethers mm -hmm. went out, right? But if someone can back test the math, right? You know there were 60 million ethers mm -hmm. and you know on which days how many ethers you got per Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they sold them all out. I, I don't know. I would love to take a look at that oh, map. Oh, I see. Right? So they had X amount of ethers. What happened to those ones that weren't sold? What happened to the ones that weren't sold? That's one question. The other question is, I don't know all of the co-founders of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. I'm still like doing, I'm asking a lot of people that were, that know better than me. I can name you Probably eight people off the top of my head 
Uh, maybe you know some. I don't. I, I, I come across people now and then, but they, they always list themselves as the founder versus co-founder, which always kind of... It, it, yeah, they're all just co-founders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, several of them are, may make it public who they are. Um, obviously, Vitalik Buterin, mm-hmm. uh, Gavin Wood, mm-hmm. who's something, including myself, was the actual mastermind of the operation. I Though others idea. think that was um, uh, Hodgstein, Mark... Um, Hodgkinson. Hi, Hodgkinson. Thank you. Um, was it Mark? What was his first no, name? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, but his last so, name is Hodgkinson. Hodgkinson, right? Charles. Uh, Charles Hodgkinson. Thank you. Um, so he's another co-founder that something was the brains of the, mm-hmm. uh, the original brains of the operation. Right. Um, and uh, there were others. Uh, Anthony Delorio was one. Uh, I believe Joe Lubin is one. Uh, th- th- there's more. The, 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 I mean, I ha- I started putting the list together. You just lose track of all of them. Um, there's a bunch of them. And what happened to the Ethereum tokens that were not sold in the crowd sale? Mm-hmm. A- and we can f- calculate how many of those well, some, are. Somebody can somebody can tweet this out. I think this is a perfect little mission someone can, can do for us. But uh, Nicola just dropped in to, to let us know that in, when this pre-sale happened, the coins didn't actually exist yet. That's a, a big problem I have with Ethereum is that it, Ethereum had a price before it existed. That makes me very, very skeptical because Bitcoin ha- took a long time to earn that price. All right, well, well, but they, they didn't exist. But that, that doesn't matter if they existed or not, right? The question is they got their 2000. I guess they got them like a year and a half later when they went mm-hmm. you know, to the mining structure, right? So it doesn't really matter if you hold them or they'll give it to you after, right? But the point is they had I, – I saw 60 million – like. A static 60 million uh, in the market caps. Um, what do you think about market cap in general? Because we were talking about price, and price is you know always a level of speculation. But are market caps useful? So like if if you I have a billion tokens, and I sell one for a dollar, do I have a billion dollar market market cap all of a sudden? Right. Um, you do because it's based on last sale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how uh like bond market functions as well because a lot of them are so illiquid. Um, that's how it works, but because Pe- coin market cap is a site that people look at all the time, and the market cap is how they're ranked. That, that is true. That is how they're ranked. But again, you have to be just smart as an individual to see how liquid is your asset. Liquidity right? matters more than market cap. Right. Well, market cap matters, but in in the context of liquidity. I see. Right? That makes so sense. So if you have liquidity, then your market cap means a lot. Um, if you don't have liquidity, then it doesn't really mean all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I, as soon as you start trying to exit that mark, right. that's going to start change rapidly. Right. So again, I could be wrong about it. But th- again, this is why I had problems with Ethereum from the beginning. I don't have a problem when someone looking to decentralize contract, my contract. My problem was the speculative token that was created in a crowd sale. It was done out of Switzerland. And from what I heard at the time, they were frantically moving to Switzerland. Because they knew what they were doing was illegal. Mm-hmm. They knew it. You brought that up at the meeting. I did. They they knew what they were doing was illegal. They think Switzerland law will protect them. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. My opinion is that a lot of these co-founders, they're going to be in serious legal trouble. And Gavin Wood is already in legal trouble. And uh, we can play that clip because he even he said it like Where a year ago. Where he got his bank accounts closed? Yeah, he got his bank accounts closed and he's being investigated for money laundering. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't think it was I don't cons- I don't I I I'm very anti-money laundering. So, I don't think what he did was a crime, but the government does. Right? That's what matters. It doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what he thinks. Yeah. It matters what the government thinks and more importantly, it matters what the government can prove. Mm-hmm. And when you go out and you let people just deposit cash into your bank account because you're selling them bitcoins or whatever else, the government's going to get suspicious. It's risky. And I think what they did with the Ethereum crowd sale is more risky than that. Mm-hmm. No matter what jurisdiction they did it on, they could have done it on the moon. It doesn't matter. The U.S. is still king. And if they want to go after you, they'll go after you. Especially because they have identifiable founders who created the thing 
like those people are putting themselves at risk for being held responsible for all the activity and they don't and i think they know that a little bit and that's why some of them live overseas um but what came up when you brought that up at the meeting was like i think the pushback was like well we have a 27 page contract or something that they'll have to that they'll have to wade through to get at us but like i don't think a 27 page piece of paper is going to stop a government from crushing like your face kind of find it <laughs> kind of find it ironic how they hired all these lawyers to create this 27 page contract on paper to create a decentralized uh, <laughs> <laughs> way yeah. to get around contracts uh, and lawyers I don't, I, and I, and I, I, really, I don't wish anyone to get locked up or to have trouble with the government. I don't. I just think, I think they could have been smarter, and they think they're smarter than the government, and they weren't. Like, if you, if they were smarter, we wouldn't know their names, we wouldn't know their faces, we wouldn't, you know. I'm sorry, but like, I don't wish. Yeah, the no, government I, to be I, sick on anyone. Look, I, just I, think I don't wish that either. I don't agree with that. I, I speak out right. against many things that the government I does. Understand. But again, there is a reason why Satoshi's a ghost. Exactly. Um, there, there is a reason why Stoshi's a ghost, and these guys didn't take that route. You, they really should have. If they believed in it so much, I mean, Satoshi must have put in ten years into this. I'm guessing, on and off, at least two years of active coding. But yeah. before that, like j- theoretical, and, that, just, and he's probably involved right. in other projects. And I, I don't know. It's, it's like they're asking for trouble. They're, they're asking for trouble. I, I think that. I, I, I just think they're asking for trouble. I mean, I can leave it at that. Um, that I think those are most of my thoughts on Ethereum. Yeah, I and think, I think we, we kind covered of, yeah, the meetup. I, I don't know. It. It's still weird seeing you in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners who aren't watching a video we're making right now, I, I am in a suit because I want to be taken seriously. And I'm like uh, dressed like a Bitcoiner, basically. But uh, and we are in uh, in Dan's apartment here in Brooklyn, which is, which is awesome. So I was expecting him to be more dressed down because it's his place, but. Uh, yeah, Thanks for hosting me. Him. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. All right. Anything else you want to say before we um, end uh, the Ethereum chat? Oh, that's, 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 that's it. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, see you. On, oh, hopefully, I'll be around for the next episode of Unconfirmed Transactions. All right. And there it is. And by the way, we've heard some rumors that Commodore are planning to launch their own rival to Micronet, which will come complete with a modem. Now, as we get some more news about CompuNet, we'll let you have it. In the meantime, if you want more information about Prestel or Micronet, then why not have a look at the database newsletter, which you can find on Oracle, page 182. That's page 182. Now, if you own a BBC Micro, stand by for the software transmission. You can record the data directly from the audio track of your video cassette recording of database. Alternatively, if your television has an audio jack or an ear socket, you can take the data directly from that. The least successful method is to just place a microphone in front of the television set. Now, if you haven't got a BBC Micro, don't worry, because during the series we'll be transmitting data for the ZX81, the Spectrum, the Commodore 64, the VIC-20 and the Dragon. Now remember, these software transmissions are experimental, but if they're successful and you like them, then they may well become a regular feature of database later on in the year. Stand by for the software transmission. You better start your recorders now. Goodbye, and see you next week from Earl's Court.